Hello and welcome to EM Talk. EM Talk is a podcast sponsored by Axon Education and the Texas EMS School, and we are devoted to diving into the real world of EMS and everything relative. We interview real EMS providers, real hospital providers, real patients, and get the real story on what's going on currently in the world of EMS and what we can do to make it better. Day one was over, and we were supposed to have gotten some rest. Years of training should have prepared us to be able to sleep in an ambulance. But I know that neither Mark or I slept even a little. I've experienced so many terrible things and yet found myself able to at least rest a little. But when you think any moment could be your last, it makes it a little harder. It wasn't even light out yet, but we knew the sun was coming and decided it was better to get moving early. Mark decided to take the wheel as we decided I could be in the back trying to figure out some kind of tools we could use to defend ourselves. You spend all of your time in the back of an ambulance trying to discover how to save people. And now I need to take these same tools and do the opposite. I took out the protocol book, which has a list of all the different equipment we keep on the truck and started brainstorming. The items that stuck out to me were the trauma shears, the oxygen tanks, the scalpel, the syringes, the triangle bandages, stiff boards, and cardiac monitor. Of course, the tape would be a must, and so would the coban. Those items stuck out, but they would all require for the converted to be right up next to me, or right up next to Mark. I started to picture them in my head. It wasn't like the zombies you imagined or saw in the movies. They really didn't look that different from anyone else except for a handful of unique things. The skin is pale, but with purple streaks where the veins run through the skin. The hair, no matter the color it started, was always white. The eyes were something I had seen many times before, but it was much harder to get used to when they are still moving. The eyes have blown out pupils and seem to almost glow in the dark. Really, I think the glow was just the reflection of light on the thin strip of white around the pupils. The white was whiter than any eyes you would ever see before, almost pure. Even thinking about them creeps me out. Doesn't matter now, I need to find a way to keep us alive. Let's start with the easy stuff. I have sharp scissors and sharp scalpels. How do I turn those into something at least mid-range? I see triangle bandages, surely those could make a good rope or maybe even the curlex. If I put a scalpel on the end of that rope, I could use it as a swinging weapon. I imagined myself trying to swing that scalpel like that and the outcome wasn't so good. Maybe one of the stiff boards would work like a spear if I attached one of the scalpels to it. So I try that first. I don't have much faith I could throw the thing, but maybe keep some of the converted away from Mark and I if they get close enough. In all the zombie movies you see, the zombies move slow, with the exception of a few different stories. The converted aren't slow, not at all. They don't quite sprint or anything like that, more like a fast walk or limp in some occasions, and they aren't invincible either. As far as we have figured out, the converted still have a working system. Almost like if the heart had some adenosine introduced. The heart stops, then the illness is complete, and starts again when the conversion happens. There is still blood flow, but it isn't like the body and the brain just have a total connection or anything like that anymore. 
The converted don't talk or communicate. They don't even really make noise. They don't really breathe either. Not that we can see at least. I'm sure they must somehow, but we don't really see it. So if it does, then it's got to be slight. But if you slice a major artery or remove the head or any other kind of normally fatal attack, they're done. So this makeshift spear should do fine. We'll need more than this though. I noticed the IV pole on the stretcher. If I remove that pole, it would make a really good rod for something. Maybe if I attach the 14 gauge IV catheters in different positions all over the end, we could use it like a spiked club of some kind. I think I'll give this one to Mark. At least if the catheters don't work out, he could still swing it hard enough to cause some damage. But as I'm looking over the oxygen for some explosive ideas, I'm suddenly slammed into the front of the truck, almost through the window in the cab. Unfortunately, this wasn't the first time this has happened to me, and I should have been belted in while working on this stuff, but it was the last thing on my mind. I mean, there are never any cars on the road anymore, so I just didn't figure our safety while moving was going to be a factor. But, it is Mark driving, so who knew. As I recover from the impact, I hear Mark yelling at me to come hand him something. My ears are kind of ringing, so it isn't coming through clear, but finally I'm able to look through the access window and see that he stopped to avoid hitting an overturned semi-trailer on the road. I still couldn't figure out what he wanted, then I saw it. The driver's side window on this unit had been giving us problems for days. We kept meaning to fix it, but just had not gotten around to it yet. Sometimes the window would just fall down and the motor wouldn't raise it back up. We never have been able to figure out why the infected are so violent, but the one trying to get into the truck through that window wasn't giving us much time to think about why. Mark was yelling for me to help him. I looked through the access window. I didn't see any other converted around the one at the window, so I opened the box door and got out to run around and help Mark. I take the spear with me, thinking this will be a good time to try it out. I'm able to hit it in the back of the knees so that it falls to the ground. One advantage to being a paramedic is that you know how the body works well enough that in reverse, it isn't too hard to figure out how to make it stop working. I made the converted stop working with one jab of that scalpel. I guess the spear worked better than I imagined it would. Mark started to exit the vehicle and I see him grab for the spear. Something in my head said just let him take it. He quickly dispatched the one coming up behind me. Remember, they don't make much sound. We jump in the truck, maneuver around the semi, and keep on rolling. After a few moments of silence, I turn to Mark and say, We're going to run out of those granola bars soon. We always keep some granola bars with us because uh, we're used to eating a lot. Food had become scarce since all of this started, but we've tried to stay active considering there isn't much else to do, and that makes you hungry, so we eat. A lot. We'll be at the next town soon, says Mark. We can try to fuel up and get some food and water there. Luckily, the next town is one that wasn't converted into an IQ zone like ours, but it wasn't much better. The town had lost most of its population and pretty much everything was closed. We managed to find a gas station. Gas stations with actual fuel became harder and harder to find towards the end of April when the gas market fell into the negative numbers. The one we found says fuel available on the front written on a sheet hanging in the window, so we pull in. We're cautious as we slowly exit the truck. We decide to stick together. 
We start fueling the truck, we lock the doors and go inside to find food and pay. We knock on the door and put on our face masks, as we have all gotten used to doing by now. The store owner puts his on as he approaches the door. He has a shotgun and he asks us to show him our eyes and forearms. See, the eyes are the first thing that starts to change when you're infected, and then the purple color starts to happen to the veins and the arms first. We show him, and seeming satisfied, he unlocks the door, lets us in, then quickly locks the door behind us. He doesn't say much, just high and that he only takes cash. We have all gotten used to carrying cash on us since most of the major banks collapsed. Surprisingly, the only surviving banks were in the small towns. They only survived because of some unique maneuvering and the immediate collection of all debts. We head first to the beef jerky, easy source of protein. Peanuts and almonds are next, then chips and pretzels. We grab as much as we can carry and then a couple cases of water and go to the counter to pay. As we approach the counter, we start to smell it. We didn't notice when we first came in because of the face masks, but as we started to adjust, we can definitely smell it now, and I can see it on Mark's face that he smells it too. Something's coming from the back room. Alright, so that is the second episode of The Converted. That's going to be the name of our story now, The Converted. Now we know what The Converted look like, and we know that we can fight them. Listen in next week to find out what it is that Mark and Judd smell in that gas station, and where they go next. What will they make next? How will they survive? Where will they get the next food? When will they make it to their families? Remember that you can contribute to this story by going to our Facebook page, Texas EMS School, and submitting your ideas for events and plot lines, maybe even some new characters. Also, something special for all you artists out there, I am looking for someone to draw us a picture of what the converted might look like. Just use the description we gave in this episode and let's see what you come up with. Next week, we'll get a better description of Mark and Judd, and we'll need some artist renderings of them as well. Keep listening and keep sharing, and we'll talk to you next time on EM Talk.